tangent to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. and welcome to episode 28 of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is a show where we are looking at the Tangent Universe books published by DC Comics, beginning with a series of books in the late 1990s. And these were, uh, these were books that, were, that created a brand new universe with new characters and a new backstory and new adventures, with the only starting point being the main characters had to use an existing DC comic character's name. My name is Michael Bradley, and joining me on this venture is my co-host in crime, Sean Engel. Yes, in crime, exactly. In <laughs> fact, I'm plotting my nefarious dealings right as we speak. Great. This episode, we are <laughs> continuing our look at the Tangent Superman's Reign maxi-series that began publication in 2008 and saw the Tangent characters mixing it up with their DC Universe counterparts for the very first time. Or second time, I guess, because we had that JLA issue. But well, we'd like to forget that JLA issue, especially the exactly. ending of that. <sighs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, in the past couple episodes, we've been a bit more down on the series as the art took a significant significant downturn, and the the uh, the story didn't seem to be progressing as it had. But this time out, as we officially enter the final third of the series with a look at issue number nine, and you know, if this issue is a sign, and I really hope it is, we're in for an upswing as we get another new artist and the story starts building to a climax. Yep, I have to agree with you. Uh, reading reading this issue and the the subsequent issue, I think we're really heading towards you know a, a good ending in this. Uh, I like the way things are building up. Uh, I like the inclusion of more characters, inclu- including one of my favorite characters into the book. And yeah, having this uh, having the artist uh, we've got Carlos Mango on mm-hmm. or on the. Magno, sorry, on the on the art here, it's it's looking a lot better. Chris uh, Wes Craig on the last issue was okay, but it, I think again the shift from Jamal Eigel to that was so dramatic that it kind of took me out of the book. Mango seems to have a or Magno seems to have a better relationship to the art style of uh, Eigel, and I'm really enjoying the art, especially a lot more now. Jurgen's story has been good throughout throughout the entirety and i think it just ramps up once again with some great cliffhanger great cliffhanger endings mm-hmm. in these couple of books yeah and um you know i don't i don't want to spoil anything we're going to be talking about here in a minute but i i really do hope this upward turn um 
is a sign of good things to come because as the series winds down, so is the show, and I'd really like to go out uh, with a solid ending. But yeah, yeah, you know, like I've said, I'm aside from what we were getting ready to record, I'm not reading ahead, so I do not know how this ends. And every time I come to an ending of a book, and I get everyone great- dies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, this better not be like that Ben Rabe thing last time, or I'm going to reach through the internet and smack you. <laughs> it's like it's like Titanic. There's a raft, but only <laughs> Batman can be on it, even though it's clearly big enough for the rest of the characters. Yeah, I can see it. You know, Superman's in the water. You know, I'll, I'll never let go. <laughs> Batman's like, yes, you'll let go. Because I'm... Uh, thank you, James Cameron, for such such a wonderful, wonderful movie. And Avatar, which sucked. I have not seen Avatar. I do, do, don't you know, really want to. It's, have you seen Dances with Wolves? You know, just turn up your contrast to really blue, <laughs> and you've got the same movie, basically. With Paul Kent. Or with yeah. Paul Kent, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Sean and I kind of screwed up, and I just realized that this happened. We didn't talk about feedback before we started recording and, and what we were going to read. But since we're a little pressed for time today, do you want to just skip the feedback for now and, and catch up later? Well, if you want, I've got one piece of feedback that I can read right now. Oh, I've okay. got some email from Gene Hendricks, if we want to go ahead and do that. Okay, sure. All right, we've got an email, like I said, from our good friend Gene Hendricks, who writes into all of our shows. We really appreciate getting feedback from him. This was on uh, Superman's Reign number 7. He writes in saying, Michael and Sean, ah, Superman meets Superman. It's about time. Not that there's much interaction here, but at least they finally meet. Of course, Harvey taking care of one woman's family for a brief time really doesn't do much for the long term or for anyone else, now does it? I think it might be a bit of a character flaw that hasn't been explored much. Yeah, that woman's okay for now, but what about her neighbor that needs that operation? Or the lady down the hall that's trying to find her child? Just helping one person isn't enough to qualify as Superman, quote-unquote, but that's just one fellow's opinion. Actually, too, since Sean said pretty much the same thing. Well, I'll, I'll agree with that. I mean... Yeah, the Superman trying to help this one woman out by paying for a meal and housing for this period of time is really great and noble. But as we saw later in the book, there were dozens, if not hundreds of people who still needed help. How is that going to – You know, is Superman going to have to do the same thing for them? And what kind of impact does that have on society as a whole? I see what you're saying, but I, I don't know that he was really trying to say – Okay, I've fixed this woman's problems. All problems are solved now. I think it was just more of a symbolic thing. Well, I can agree but with I, that. But I understand what you're saying. It's it's definitely it's definitely a way to show that he cares about people and wants to do the right thing, but acting so sing you know, acting so single minded and just right. focusing on, on this one person, although it's a great symbol, it allows all these other people that we saw later in the book with some trivial um, trivial problems to come to him to try and get those solved rather than Superman being able to work on the big picture problems. Right. But Gene uh, continued on saying, I agree that Superman and Power Girl really didn't have a reason to show up together. My no prize would be that Power Girl was visiting and one of them happened to notice the commotion, so they both went. Of course, Power Girl needs some reason to be in Metropolis in the first place since she didn't live there. So I guess Jean confirms that she wasn't living in Metropolis. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but Gene finishes out said, Michael, I finally managed to listen through Superman and Batman. Great stuff there, and I hope you get it, get back to it at some point. Well, do you want to go ahead and uh, say what's going on with Superman and Batman? It's coming back. Yes. As, as listeners are listening to this, there should be an episode out, so head on over to greatcrypton.com and subscribe to the iTunes feed and check it out. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to listen to it. I, obviously, we're recording this before it's out, but I can't I can't wait. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to it. The, the, but, next, the first episode of The Return is going to be out August 4th, which I'm pretty sure will be passed by the time you're hearing this. But Yeah. But thank you, Gene, for writing in. Yes. We'll, uh, we'll uh, get to some more uh, feedback and comments here later in, in the next episode. But if you'd like to write into the show, the uh, ad- email address to the show is tangent at greatcrypton.com. Or you can go to greatcrypton.com and uh, leave uh, messages as as we post the, uh, post the shows. But uh, with that out of the way, do you want to go ahead and head into coverage of the comic? Sure thing. All right, I've got this one today. This is Tangent Superman's Reign number nine. It was cover dated January 2009 and released on November 19th of 2008 with a cover price of $2.99 US. The title was Tangent Superman's Reign chapter nine. Writer again was Dan Jerkins. Penciler this time out was Carlos Magno. The inker was Julio Fierra. Ferreira. Ferreira. Let me try and pronounce that again. Ferreira. That's good enough. Letterer was Steve Wands. Colorist was Canilla Trip. Editor Adam Schlagman. The cover art was by Brad Walker and John Lipsey. And the Tangent Universe was created by Dan Jurgens. At Tangent Superman's Information Fortress, his army of robotic drones stand watch against any and all means of infiltration. However, they aren't prepared for the personalized and licensed exploding bat balls that Batman Blue tosses their way gumming up their mechanisms and allowing Tangent and Earth-1 flashes to speed in and take the androids out. The team reaches a locked and explosively rigged door, but that poses no problem for the Tangent Spectre, who easily phases the door and opens it for the heroes. Entering the chamber, Wally West reveals that this is Harvey Dent's personal computer system and holds information that might provide the heroes with an address, and possibly a way to take down the Tangent Superman. Meanwhile, on Earth-1, or New Earth, I'm not certain which one it is, Guy Gardner, the greatest of all Green Lanterns, is shocked by the destruction of every capital on the planet, as well as the disappearance or death of all the leaders. Fortunately, Superman and Power Girl are here to assuage Guy's concerns. Superman Superman says that none of the leaders were found in the ashes of the destruction, almost as if they were taken somewhere. And Guy retorts that they'd have a better chance of finding them if they didn't have half the League missing. Superman gives Guy the stink eye, and Power Girl says that they'll find the missing JLAers as soon as they take care of business with the Tangent Superman and friends. Speaking of which, Tangent Superman, Power Girl, and Orion address the captive leaders of all the nations with their intentions of reshaping the world. Using his mental powers to allow the disparate cultures to understand each other, the leaders reply with a resounding GTFO to the Tangent Man of Tomorrow, saying that even though he has the means to affect this type of change, he doesn't have the right, and that Earth's protectors will stop him. Frustrated, Tangent Superman tells the captives to think over their options about bending to his will, but to keep in mind that if he wanted to, he could have easily teleported them into the middle of the Pacific Ocean a place not too far of where, from where they are right now. 
Back at JLA headquarters, Guy, Superman, and Power Girl receive a communication from a naval commodore relating the disappearance of an entire, entire carrier group stationed in the Pacific. Thinking that a single aircraft carrier could hold nearly 5,000 people, Superman calls in his specialist on this. Unfortunately, that specialist isn't Aquaman, sorry Rob, but Vixen, the animal to- totem-shifting hero who dolphins her way aboard the strangely silent carrier and radios the League about the absence of an active crew. Superman, Power Girl, and Guy rush to Vixen's location in order to assist, but upon arrival are attacked by missile strikes and unmanned F-18 fighter jets. The heroes definitely defeat the drones until they destroy one with an active nuclear bomb in it, which envelops the trio in a wave of orange devastation. Saying that he'll contain the fallout, Tangent Superman says that the display should be enough to convince the world of his vision. Back on Tangent Earth... Batman Red, Batman Blue, and Manhunter are breaking and entering a stately manner in search of something. And as quickly as they enter, they find that something. The former wife of Tangent Superman, Lola Dent. Dun-dun-dun. Yes. Again, we're back to some really good cliffhanger endings. Yes. I kind of had a feeling, you know, once Batman... You know, a couple of issues ago where Batman says, I'm going to find out something that can save us, that they were looking for Lola Dent and that she wasn't dead. And it's, it'll be interesting to see how it's explained why Lola's not dead. And I'm hoping that's going to be happening. Uh, I really like this ending. Uh, the art has taken a severe uptick again. Again, it's not quite as good as Jamal Eagles, but it feels more in line with Eagles' artwork. So I'm really impressed with the story, with the art. It's all coming back together, sort of like we said at the beginning of the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of the uh, strongest cliffhangers I think we've had in several issues. So I like that. And like you, I was a lot happier with the art this time out. I'm not too familiar with Mangoes or... <laughs> Magno's work, but I liked what I saw here. Um, at times, it reminded me a little bit of Ethan Van Skyver. Mm-hmm. Not, ne- not necessarily as detailed, but but a similar kind of look and feel. Yeah, and that's and that's a definite compliment. Van Skyver is one of the the premier artists around here. He, him and Ivan Reese are like two of the big ones now at DC. And to compare his art there, I think is very apt. I think it does pull in a sort of Van Skyver look. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, and, more, and actually, I would say more polished Van Skyver because the first time I encountered Van Skyver was around the Green Lantern Rebirth there. And as as powerful as his work was there, I think it, it, in some portions he had some problems. I think he's developed a lot more. Once he started working with Jeff Johns throughout the Green Lantern books, his artwork uh, in, impressed me even more and got even better. So this is this is a really good uptick in art. And uh, once again, another great story and great cliffhanger ending. Mm-hmm. So uh, you want to take a break, and then we'll come back and do the closer look? Yep, that sounds good to me. All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built? Or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school? Or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah! yeah! The comic book time machine. A journey back in time to explore comic books, good and bad, whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, get on with it then. Okay, okay, here we go. 
Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, mm-hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the Ant-Man before he had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. Sounds like the Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So, um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be, in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found. <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you. Breaking in, shaping up, then checking out on the prison bus. Alright, so we are back, and we're going to start with the cover, which I think is great. It's mm-hmm. kind of a kind of a five seconds later version to the cover of issue number three. Um, I love the look of these two charging in battle, and even though they have somewhat different visual styles, they look really great together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the only thing I would comment negatively about it is the body positioning. It they look like they're the same size, but it mm-hmm. looks like it looks like Batman tangent Batman is like leaping out from underneath. Earth One's Batman is groin. <laughs> but other than that, it's just really dynamic. And I, I can see now that you mentioned, you know, an Ethan Van Skeever look to the art. I can definitely see it here. Now, this is Brad Walker doing mm-hmm. the art. And if, once again, I'm not certain about Brad Walker's relationship and what he's done for DC Comics. But it, it's very dynamic. I like that Batman's cape has got some more blue to it rather than black. It kind of bugs me that the symbol varies. But that may just be because of the way that he's flexing or the way the shirt. Because in the rest of the comic, it's got more of the flat uh, wings at the top rather than the sort of uh, angled down wings. But that's just sort of a nitpick. Uh, It's a good cover. Uh, My first note for the inside is until page two in three. Let's see. Um, I guess my might as well go ahead and get it out of the way. Batman, he's he's a fan of branding all of his stuff. and. Panel two, page one, he has to throw in these 
gas balls or whatever. See, and this is kind of a, a mystery as well. Are these gas? How would these be affecting the robots? And then I guess it's all just maybe smokescreen or maybe there's some sort of sticky chemical that gums all their works up. But yeah, Batman's all about the branding. Bat balls. <laughs> I'm, cer- I'm certain there's a uh, Axel Braun Triple uh, oh, X oh. parody mm. that might be all about that, which I can only say that I, if there is, I don't want to know about it. Moving on. So on page two, <laughs> we have a really nice splash. There's quite a bit of detail in the robots in the background. Um, Flash's face and hand look kind of wonky, but given that's my only significant complaint about the art in the entire book, I'm willing to let it kind of slide. Yeah, there seems to be a little bit... I, I think you put a little bit more to... The, maybe the inker did a little bit too much shading on his face, looks a little off. But I love the amount of Kirby crackle going oh, yeah. on. It's just, it's really dynamic. And having the two flashes coming there to take out these robots is awesome. Of course, you know, the flashes are taking him out in completely different ways. And we get on the page three, of course, the uh, comment by Leah saying that these two flashes should team up. And <laughs> Wally making the obvious comment, that's been done before. Mm-hmm. Page four. In the first panel, I kind of wonder, and this is me just being speculative about this, Batman seems kind of questioning whether or not uh, the Spectre, you know, that the Spectre disarmed the uh, alarm system. And in that second panel, you get that shot of him with the, it's that sort of just awkward looking grin that he's got and the way that it's, you know, I'm not saying anything, but it's the it's me just being this since I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hoping this isn't going to be that the specter in some way is going to be deceitful later on in the book, or if he's going to have a turn or he's actually going to be, have been working Both for sides. the chance Superman. Yeah. But just this, these couple of panels there and the fact that Batman is suspicious, that always, you know, gives me pause. Hmm. I hope not because I, I like, this character, you know, even though he's, um, you know, he's the, he's the specter and he's he, he's visually dark and he's wearing these tattered robes and his cowl, he's, he seems like a very fun and light character. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm hoping that's just me reading too much into the book, but, you know, it's, it's, it's given us things to talk about. Yeah. Um, my next note's on page five. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. I, 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 I once again, Magdo does a great job with art. Everyone on this page looks good. Mm-hmm. Guy looks good. I love to see him in his... And, and his classic double-breasted suit actually works here. He gets that well. It looks Superman. really good from yeah. Magnus pencil, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Superman looks incredibly imposing. Now, and giving it... You know, and I'll even give credit to the colorist here. You know, the, the sort of red shading and hue of everything really gives it a sort of... It, it gives it that feel of anger and distress... And uh, really works well for this scene where they're monitoring the explosion of essentially all the capitals around the world. Mm-hmm. Does it make you feel any better? Um, well, not really better, but more at ease, I suppose. Uh, with the Superman's actions last issue, that he didn't completely obliterate the White House, because looking at it here, you know, I can more easily believe that there wasn't a complete loss of life. Yeah, because it, if you look at this panel, it looks like. It, it, it looks like the, the building is just on fire. Right. And if we remember in the last episode, it looked like 
it was a scene straight out of Independence Day where the house, where the White House was completely obliterated. So, yeah, it does give me a it, – it would, it would make sense that Superman would be upset about this, but hopefully he wouldn't be upset because there was massive loss of life, you know, done by the tangent Superman. Right. Uh, but I liked – I'll say this here, it applies to the whole issue, but I liked um, that that Jurgens tamped down on Guy's more, uh, I guess, pig-headed portrayal that kind of prevails in a lot of appearances of the character. Mm-hmm. This reminds me more of the guy in his like earliest appearances, um, kind of like the ones we talked over on Green Lantern's Light. You know, he was yes. hot-headed and abrasive, but not a complete jerk about it. Mm-hmm. And there's even a part in here where... Um Superman says that he agrees with Guy, uh, which, which you know, I want to point out because I don't think that'll ever happen again. So the fact that it happens even in an offshoot book of the DC universe, Superman does point out that Guy has a point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it, it is nice to see that Guy is still being kind of abrasive and direct and unfiltered, but he isn't he isn't uncaring and this is actually a better portrayal that Jurgens has given him than he did in times like when he was writing the the post Giffen de Mateus Justice League back then he was portraying him pretty much as jerk Guy Gardner still so I I like that he's got guys coming to that era where he's a more nuanced character and he's not as much of a a a-hole right Uh, I do have one super nerdy nitpick on this page and that is Power Girl in this continuity wasn't Kara Zor-El E-L that was Supergirl Power Girl okay. was Kara Zor-El with just an L hmm but has no barrier that's more a editorial issue than writing so makes sense yeah yeah I was wondering because I know that I, you know I, I don't know whether they had retconned uh, it, since this is after Infinite Crisis I don't know whether they had retconned the idea that she, she used to be Atlantean and now she is actually Kryptonian from she, Earth 2. Yeah, she was... I, I believe at this point they had redone the continuity that she was back to being the original Earth 2 Power Girl, just moved into this new continuity Earth thing. Okay. It's, it's very confusing. I, I can only imagine. Um, Page 6? Yep. As I was reading this, I was formulating this criticism in my head of, of of the heroes that they're just standing around. But as I got more into it, I feel like that's exactly what they should be doing. Because they're missing four of their heavy hitters with Flash, Batman, and two Green Lanterns being in this other dimension. And they don't know where they're at, but they're they're MIA. And every nation on Earth has had its capital attacked and the leaders are gone or missing. And as Superman points out, they found they haven't found any bodies, so they have to work on the assumption that the leaders are still alive. So assessing the situation and carefully planning their next move is exactly what they need to do. And rushing into something could get the hostages killed. So, you know, as much as I want to see Superman taking the bull by the horns and charging into action, I really like the tact that Jurgens took here uh, with him and Power Girl and Guy exercising some restraint and wisdom and, and being more cautious. 
Yeah, this isn't them just going, okay, we need to go take care of these problems, you know, everywhere, you know, because since this is going on on a global scale, it would do a disservice for the league to split up and try and take on all these things at once rather than first coming up with a cohesive plan and trying to find out what happened to all these people. As as Superman said, they haven't found any bodies of the leaders in here, so we have to presume that they've been taken away. And they know that this tangent Superman was able to teleport away, so maybe he was able to do the same thing with the with these world leaders, and maybe he's holding them captive. So it's good that they're not just rushing into it. And having Guy Gardner there, it's surprising that they don't just go rushing into it, because that would have been Guy's thing, really. Yeah. Uh more praise for Magno on the art. I, I really like his Power Girl. I like that she's um, voluptuous, but not like comically so. Most artists have carried forward that Wally Wood aesthetic of her being, you know, busty. But some artists really go overboard with it. Mm-hmm. And 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 granted, some artists go overboard for a purpose. I know in the well, uh, right and in, in essentially the Amanda Connor Power Girl series that they made uh, quite a bit of reference to the fact that she has, she's very amply chested and, you know, runs around in a uniform that accentuates that and shows off cleavage as well. In fact, that was a main part of that book. But I like the fact that even though that she is drawn that way, I don't think your attention is drawn specifically to that. Right. So that's, that's good on Magno for doing the character that service. I like on the next couple of pages, uh, basically seven through nine, how even though Superman, Tangent Superman, has brought all these people here and given the ability to understand each other through telekinetic means, there is not even one person in this group of people who's like, well, I'd like to hear you out. What's the idea? (laughs) They're all like, no, you've kidnapped us. You're holding us against your will. Our heroes are going. Are the heroes of this planet are going to take you out? And I like that. Even if there is one thing that can unify the nations against someone, it's someone kidnapping all of them and holding them hostage. So there you go. Yeah, um, I, I don't have just a whole lot to say about these pages, but I did enjoy seeing the Superman's um, sales pitch, for lack of a better word. You get the impression he went through the same stuff on his world, and it ended up much the same way. And you know, to to reference back to what we talked about in the past couple episodes, I was thinking more about that Doctor Doom comparison. And I think this illustrates how the characters are different because while the Superman is, I mean, yes, he abducted all the world leaders, but he's at least kind of saying, or he's he's at least asking them to join him, with the caveat that he'll do it with with or without him. But I feel like Doom would just come in and and take over and not even give him the option. And I think Doom, as much as he has grand designs for complete rulership of the world, I don't think he'd go on such a massive scale. I think he'd go one by one rather than taking them all at once. So, although the plans are similar and that Superman does want a better world, you know, the idea of him capturing all of these people at once maybe a bit maybe he overextended himself a bit and if he would have started with just like you know the united you know it started with the president of the united states and then worked his way around 
but I understand he's probably only got a limited amount of time here, so mm-hmm. he's got to get it done quickly. But I think, yes, kidnapping all the world's leaders and putting it in one place and saying, my way or the highway isn't the best way to go. Uh, just two more quick comments about the art on page eight. I really like the shots of the Superman in those final two panels. There's a lot of emotion, different kinds of emotion in both of those panels. Mm-hmm. And this one might seem weird, but I like the way that Magno draws the tangent Power Girl's hair. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it looks nice. Yeah, it's a it's a different style. It's not as sort of regimented as we've seen Eigel draw. It's mm-hmm. it's more feminine. It's got more curls to it. It doesn't have the sort of it, it, it has more it, it has more style to it, I guess, and it makes her look more feminine. I think Eigel drew her to be more militaristic and more i guess more asian if possible since she was technically a chinese creation so yeah i I can see that and i do like the the change up of her um my next note isn't until page 10 okay and i guess it's a question about that you know we get this commodore telling superman that this naval fleet was lost now right now I know ships have a good amount. I don't know what kind of complement crew that a ship would have, but if Superman is holding these 5,000 or so you know, world leaders, or even if it's just 500 world leaders on this ship, what happened to all the military personnel on the ship, and did Superman get rid of them? Are they at the bottom of the ocean right now, or are they floating in the ocean? Did he teleport them away, or did he do away with them? I mean, because if you think that Hmm. Naval officers are still on this ship. They'd be working to take this guy down. So this is kind of, you know, it kind of portends something bad might have happened to him, which might make Superman look kind of bad. Hmm. I didn't even think about what the the crew that was on the ship. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what happened with the crew? Hopefully, you know, they, like I said, they're not lying at the bottom of the ocean right now. <laughs> um, Page 11. Yeah. I mean, not to dismiss Vixen. She's a shapeshifter. She can use her animal totems to turn into pretty much... She is basically sort of a a female version of Beast Boy. But don't you think it would have been so much better if this were Aquaman coming in? I mean... And I I don't know... I think Aquaman was dead at this point. Really? I think so. See, because I I went and checked out Mike's Amazing World and I scanned around... Uh, around the months this came out, and I couldn't find any Aquaman books, and I noticed he wasn't, you know, he wasn't being published. So I was like, "Well, maybe he's just in the back pages of, you know, uh, Justice League." But so Aquaman at the time was dead. I think so because this is close to Final Crisis, unless I'm wildly mistaken. No, actually, when I when I checked Mike's Amazing World, the Final Crisis crossover issues were happening. And, okay, uh, and, so on, and he was dead during Final Crisis. Okay. So, mm, okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. You know, you've got a person who can shape shift into animals coming on there. But yeah, if if Aquaman was available, I think it would have helped the story if Aquaman were there. Yeah. But what can you do? Well, they needed somebody with animal powers, and they thought about Animal Man, and they said, "Nah, we need somebody a lot lamer." So <laughs> we'll call Vixen. 
Ah, uh, I bet all I bet both of those Vixen fans out there are just <laughs> weeping in their in their iPods right now. Send hate mail to Professor Allen at. <laughs> oh, I bet Professor Allen's a Vixen fan. I wouldn't doubt. Um, page twelve. I will. I will have this one little criticism about Magno's art. Uh, it, it, on the on the first panel there, Superman looks good. Uh, Power Girl looks good, but he guy looks, looks, he looks great in that first panel. That's a nice shot of Superman flying, and, and it's a, it's a nice it's a nice different way. He's yeah. not just flying out. He's not just flying out the straight legs. He's got the one leg bent and the hand out. Sort of looks like he's grasping for someone, and he's got his head turned around talking to Guy. Power Girl looks fine, but Guy just looks way too skinny in this panel. Mm. And you know, I'm I'm a fan of the Joe Staten version of Guy Gardner from the early part of the 1990s uh, run in Green Lantern. Okay. And, and he drew him to be sort of lean and not as bulky as, you know, other uh, artists have done. But here from previous issues of the book, he just looks too skinny in here. And that's only my only complaint. But um, he didn't really look that way earlier in the issue. No, he, 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 he looks too thin down. And earlier in the issue, he looked, you know, rather buff i mean he didn't look he, he, he looked athletically fit this he right. looks a little wayfish so i don't know if maybe it's the perspective perspective on it or what uh, but moving on to page 13 i love 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 this shot of superman here with his mm-hmm. arms spread deflecting or deflecting the fire from the f-18s he's got this uh kind of slight smile and he's clearly enjoying his abilities and having fun and i just i just not not like inappropriate fun because it is a serious situation, but I just love it so much. Yeah, and I love it. He's and I also love that he's doing it, even know that he's with Guy Gardner, a person who could put up a shield around him to yeah. deflect the bullets, and Power Girl, who essentially has the same power level as he does. But that he even even when he knows that there are people there that can defend himself themselves. He's there to try and take the brunt force of it. Yeah. And that again says something about the character of Superman and how he's willing to defend whoever at any time. Right. Uh, let's see. My next note is not until page 15. That's where, uh, me too. Off. Yeah. Um, again, Magno does some great work, especially on that first panel where you see the explosion going off mm-hmm. and you can see sort of, in the shadow of it, Superman's image. At, at least I think that's got to be Superman's image in that first panel there. But where, where? on uh, on the page where the nuclear explosion is going off, the big orange cloud, and you yeah. see kind of in the center, the it looks like uh, Superman's head and his shoulders. Oh, kind of there on the bottom right. Yeah, cloud. Oh, hmm. I kind of seen looks, that before. Wow. And, and then and in the next panel, I'm not certain if that's supposed to look like someone's body dissolving. But you know, it does it does give you that sort of feeling of threat that Superman might not have been able to to survive this. You know, you and I, knowing Superman, we know that nuclear explosion it's going to mess him up, but it's not going to kill him. Right. Hopefully. But in the, I think I think they I think they do a good job of selling the drama here on this page in this panel. Uh, the coloring and the art really does a good job of showing off how devastating this would be. Mm-hmm. And I liked the uh, the tangent Superman's line about the nuclear explosion too. You know, 
that was such a huge part of the first wave and, and the foundation of what makes that universe's history different that I'm glad that they referenced that. Mm-hmm. That, that the explosion was essentially what started right. the Tangent universe, and now the explosion will start the change on this Earth as well. Right. So. Hopefully this won't create a, a, a race of sea devils on the DC yeah. Earth. Yeah, well, Aquaman would be able to... Oh, well, he's, he's dead, I <laughs> he's guess. He's dead, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, my next note isn't until the final page of this. Um, I, yeah, that's where I'm at, too, actually. Okay, um, again, I, I, I'll, I'll go back and say, when we're recovering, I think it was issue four of this, and uh, Batman had gone to the central Google hub for Superman's tangent uh, information system, and the character of Halo in there, and how I speculated that Halo might have been Lola. Mm-hmm. I guess I, you know, I'll cop up and say that, Lola, that I was wrong there, and this is actually Lola, but I'm glad that we found out that Lola wasn't dead and it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen with uh, Batman Manhunter and Batman Red when they actually encounter her and whether she's going to be willing to listen to him yeah yeah it's a great cliffhanger I, I do hope they explain how Batman knew she was alive or how Batman figured out how she was alive beyond just he's Batman mm-hmm know? But it, it's a really good cliffhanger, and I'm, it made me uh, excited to read the next issue. Definitely, definitely. Well, um, do we want to go ahead and go into the history lesson then? Not really, but yeah. <laughs> Let's go yeah. ahead. Yeah, well, we, we have to do it. They're, they're here. So, history lesson. Uh, chapter 9 was written by Ron Mars, penciled by Anne de Tong, inked by Mark McKenna, colored by Dom Reagan, lettered by Steve Wands, and edited by Adam Schlagman, and it goes like this. As the tangent guy gardener attempts to leave the Nightwing facility, sexy workout gear Jeannie Lynn Hayden tells him to grow a pair, as her assistant Jamie politely restrains him. Guy says that he didn't want any of this, and Jenny replies that she didn't want, any, didn't want her brother dragged off to one of Superman's prison camps, so it sucks for both of them. Once again, Jenny asks about one of the costume heroes, this time the Manhunter. Guy relates the little that he does know about her, the theory that she was a survivor of the Czech War in the late 1960s, that she built a cybernetic push to aid her, and that she hunted down war criminals like a female Magneto from X-Men First Class. He has no idea why she joined the Secret Six, especially since her methods were a bit more extreme, but unfortunately, even those didn't help her against the Superman. Once again, satisfied with the information, Jenny tells Jamie to let him go, as he comments on Guy's wiry masculinity, which you should take no innuendo from at all. Uh, yeah, there... I really have nothing to say about this. Um, yeah. We, we have a great splash, a great pinup shot of the character... On page, uh, we'll say three. Yeah, page yeah. three. But beyond that, I mean, it, it wasn't bad, but the Manhunter had very little backstory to begin with, and this doesn't really offer any new insight beyond maybe definitively linking the little girl from Metal Man to Manhunter, which, you know, some readers might not have picked up on in the original issues, but I don't know. Yeah, the, and the only thing I really gathered from this was I remember a couple issues back we questioned whether or not Pooch was actually fully cybernetic or whether he oh, yeah. had organic parts in there because we saw that scene of Pooch licking uh, Lori's face as the Manhunter. And I guess the 
I, I went back and checked out the actual issue of Metal Man where we saw this little girl in it, and there was no dog there. She was calling for her dog because right. the dog was with her when the red tornado virus hit her eyes, but there was no dog. So the dog technically died, so the dog was completely robotic. So that was the only real thing I got out of it. Yeah, it's nothing really advances. We're, we're not learning anything new about the Manhunter. The art is decent. Jenny is still in her sexy workout gear. Um, I'm not too keen on, uh, on I guess page four, the the middle panel where we get the secret six. You yeah, know. that's rough. Yeah, that's kind of sketchy. I mean, it it's not awful, but it's just not as good as we've seen before. And I have no idea what's going on with Guy. I, I guess I've got sort of a fan theory, and I don't know whether this will play out. Well, I know it will play out because I've read the next issue, but I, I wrote this before I actually read the next issue, okay. and I saw the sort of shading on Guy's uh, face on that final panel on the page, and I thought it looked like a lightning bolt. And I was like, huh, maybe has some relationship to the Captain Marvel Shazam or uh-huh. to the Shazam, but, you know, spoilers, that doesn't play out in the next issue. Yeah. I I understand the purpose of these backups and they're meeting that purpose, but I wish they would have made more of an effort to offer something new in each of them, if only to reward people who had read all the books. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe that's unfair given that this series came out 10 years after the first two waves, you know, and not less than a year as we're reading them. So, well, it's understandable that they wanted to get some information out there that would inform people who didn't have a knowledge of what the Tangent Universe characters were right. about. But it would have been nice that they could have slipped in a couple of things in there that we didn't know. Like I think of the Superman issue. Hold on, I'm sorry. I think we're having a mild earthquake right here. Oh, no. No, we have those every once in a while. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> you all right? No, it's fine. It's okay. just that the house started shaking. I was like, that's kind of weird. Oh, weird. Uh, uh, well, we've had that. It's, it's been a uh, time of seismic activity around here. It happens every once in a while. But going back to that, you know, uh, there, were, I, there were earlier issues of this that pointed out different things. I want to say like in the one where they're talking about the tangent Superman, they went more in depth to him fighting – the uh, ultra humanite on the moon and stuff like that. So were there there were little beats about putting uh, things that weren't in the original book in there, and this one just doesn't offer anything extra. And the only please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties.
Yep. Still having problems over here. Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Wow, this is a long song, isn't it? Just be thankful for that earthquake or Sean might have insisted on singing. Hello. Oh, hello. Okay. Where where did I cut out? I was afraid I you got swallowed up by like a chupacabra or something that came no. out of the ground during the earthquake. No, that's way south. That's fine. Uh, and so, do you remember where I left off? No. Okay. Well, well <laughs> I think my recording is still going. Is yours still going? Yes. Okay. Well, if not, we can try and just edit this together. Okay. You know, uh, We'll just go from the earthquake thing, and or you can edit that out. Okay. You know, and I, I don't think I think what this suffers from is that in previous issues we had little bits and pieces added to the stories that they were retelling. Guy added more information about Superman fighting the ultra humanite on the moon and stuff like that. So what we have here is just a confirmation that the Manhunter was that girl from the middleman story and i think that was something that people who would have read the middleman story and read anything else coming from the manhunter probably would have picked up on right so that uh, it, it just makes this one of the lesser entries in it not that any of the backup issues have been really stellar i'd say they've just been yeah i mean they're, they're meeting their purpose they're just not exceeding their purpose i guess yeah yeah it, it's just basically they're like wikipedia entries essentially <laughs> You know, they're they're there to fill you in and you know give you information on the characters, but they're not there to advance the plot. And the fact that the plot advancement that we're getting is, you know, guy is a wussy and Jenny likes to take her clothes off and you know has you know a sports bra on is is about all we're getting. So that's not really all that entertaining, right? But at least the fir- at least the first story was better. So. Yeah, I'll agree. I'm I'm impressed with the uptick in stories with the uh, main story. So we'll see if anything happens next time out. Yeah, 
But that's it for this time. Um, next time we'll be going on to issue number 10 and starting to wind down the series. But in the meantime, if you have questions or comments or just want to give us uh, your thoughts on the story, be sure to write in tangent at greatcrypton.com. And as always, you can also leave comments at the website, which is greatcrypton.com, or hit us up on Facebook. But until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you next episode. Bye, everyone. listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Engel. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. Special thanks to the irredeemable Shag for this episode's intro. Shag is the mastermind behind Firestorm Fan, a blog for all things about DC Comics' nuclear-powered hero, and is also co-host of the Fire and Water podcast and the Who's Who podcast. Find the blog, both podcasts, and a whole lot more from Shag at firestormfan.com.
Sorry about that. I no, no, I mean, are you all right with the earthquake and no, everything? Or? No, really, really, we've been having these every once in a while. You know, they're just mild tremors. It's just enough. Since I'm sitting on the second floor of my house, okay. I think I feel it a bit more. And, you know, it, if you've ever lived by, uh, if you've ever, ever lived in a building where it's by a train track or it's okay. by, you know, it's just, it's just a little vibration. It's not like, you know, I have to hide under, you know, I'd go to the lower level and hide in the closet or something. You know, it's, and I'm certain people are like, oh, it's fracking. It's because you're doing all that fractured water injection. No, it's not. It's just, it's just tectonic. Oklahoma sits on a tectonic plate line and every, we've had earthquakes. We just tend to monitor them better now. So get over yourselves, environmental wackos. Sorry, had a brain lapse there for a minute. No problem. <laughs> and did you use the phrase bat balls? Yes, I did use okay. the phrase bat balls. Okay. Just well, they're little balls with little bat <laughs> symbols on them. Am I trying to put an innuendo in there? Yes. But what else am I supposed to call them? I mean, he, he Batman is all about the licensing. Yeah. <laughs> licensing and branding. That's Batman's shtick. Oh, uh. You know, when I saw the initial teaser trailer, I was like, oh, man, more darkness. That's not what I need. And it, it looks it looks a bit more positive. You know, I kind of worry with Zack Snyder because Zack Snyder doesn't seem to be a director who can do original things. He can adapt, you know, you know like in 300 and Watchmen, he can adapt things well. But doing his own original work seems to be a problematic. What do you mean? Sucker Punch was great. You get off the phone. Get off the call right now. We are done. 